Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. All right, People's Church, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome for the first time. Great to be with you today. You look great. We want to invite you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Something that uh, has been put on our hearts uh, that actually came from some ideas that were generated in the church family was to give families, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, opportunity to worship together with their kids, especially elementary age kids. So if you have first, second, third, fourth, fifth graders, you know, right now they're having a great time in kids' church, probably more fun than you're having. We want to give you an opportunity to worship together with them. So we have uh, intentionally created a service tonight. Our PC Kids Department has uh, created a, a, a service that is designed for families to worship together. As moms and dads and as grandmas and grandpas, it's important that your kids and grandkids see you in worship. and that you, They see you modeling worship. And something special happens in our hearts as well when we see our kids worshiping. So bring the kids back, bring the grandkids back for 6 o'clock service tonight. One of the uh, great enduring American brand slogans is, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Some of you could sing the song. Yeah, yeah. I was going to have to, but thank you. State Farm has been using that since 1971. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The concept is that uh, in a crisis or a catastrophe, when that happens to your home, to your car, even your life, that this insurance company will be available and reliable, like a good neighbor. It resonates because we get the concept of a, of a good neighbor. Uh, many of you have personal stories of how someone has been a good neighbor to you or to your family. Maybe someone from your household was in the hospital. Someone from your household was in the hospital and, and a neighbor came and mowed your lawn or some neighbors got together and provided meals for you while you or someone in your house was hospitalized or recovering from a surgery. You didn't know this, but like a good neighbor, State Farm is there actually uh, almost comes right out of the Bible. Proverbs 27.10, listen to this. In a time of crisis, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. In a time of crisis, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Maybe it was not a crisis, but you've experienced neighbor, caring for neighbor, or neighbor helping neighbor growing up in Michigan, we had a dog, and the neighbor family across the street, they had a dog, and if they were out of town, we would take care of their dog. If we were out of town, they would take care of our dog. Now, 
whether it's a dog, a cat, a hamster, a hermit crab, or a fish, if you've been there, done that, or maybe doing this right now, what is your prayer as you are taking care of the neighbor's pet while they're out of town? <laughs> Please don't die while they're gone. Jesus placed incredible value and importance on being a good neighbor. There's this conversation that's recorded for us in Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. Praise God for the good answers we get from Jesus. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, them, asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So here's where we begin this conversation around good neighbors. If you're here for the first time, you're here on a great Sunday because we're starting a brand new series today. Neighbors, very simply, are those who are in close proximity. Neighbors can be coworkers, classmates, teammates. Neighbors can be strangers. The parable of the Good Samaritan is all about Neighbors, Jesus uses the illustration to talk about neighbors, and it's about a, a stranger who stopped to help a man who'd been a, attacked, assaulted, robbed, and left for dead on the side of the road. A stranger, and it all the, the parable of the Good Samaritan ends on who was this man's neighbor. So neighbor means more than neighbors in our neighborhood, but neighbor certainly includes neighbors in our neighborhood. So as we get into this new series, Good Neighbors, we can think about coworkers, classmates, teammates, strangers, the person you saw at the grocery store, people in our proximity. I am challenging us for the purpose of the next, of today and the next two weeks, to focus on our neighbor neighbors, the people who live in our neighborhoods. And when we think about our church family, we have people who live in all kinds of different settings. Neighbor to you could mean the house next door, maybe the apartment next door, the farm that's a mile down the road. So we all live in different settings, but think about our neighborhoods and what would happen if we all committed to making a love of Christ, hands and feet of Christ difference in our neighborhoods. The mayor of a city in Colorado said the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Now this was said about a city in Colorado, but I can be pretty assured that just about every mayor in America and even the world would say this. Most of the problems in the city could be solved or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to be a community of great neighbors. 
Today I want to give you a practical takeaway that if we all did this, our neighborhoods will be better and our city will be better. First of all, it's my desire for you as a, as a, a pastor and as hopefully a friend, I hope you love where you live. I hope you love your neighborhood. I hope you love your neighbors. In a minute, we're going to talk about the outward action of us showing love to our neighbors. But as we get started in this conversation, I simply desire for the peace that I desire that you would have the peace that as you're driving, walking, taking the bus, riding the bike up to your house, as you are pulling into your apartment building, riding up to the farm on the tractor, whatever it would be, that you would look around and say, I love where I live. I just love being, I love my neighbors, I love my neighborhood. Now, your neighborhood's not perfect, my neighborhood's not perfect, and why is this? Neighborhoods are imperfect because imperfect people live in them. True also for churches, by the way. Yes, we worship a perfect God, we have a perfect Savior, but if you're new here, I just want to share, if you're looking for a church that's filled with perfect people, I'm sorry you've come to the wrong place. We are a church full of imperfect people worshiping a perfect Savior desiring to be more like him. <clears throat> now, some of you could tell me why you don't love your neighborhood. I'm not asking you to raise your hand right now, but some of you could tell me why you don't love your neighborhood, and you may have very good reasons. And maybe that there's a real lack of security because there's violence or crime in your neighborhood. And when you don't feel safe, it's hard to love your neighborhood. It could also be it's the dog that barks, it's the people who make too much noise, it's the house that smells bad, or it's the lady on your block who's angry all the time and she's angry at your kids and she's angry at you. Some of you have one of those. Hopefully you're not one of those. If not, God is speaking to you right now. Someone's here and they brought their neighbor and it's like, is this why you brought me today? They had no idea. You have to hear my pastor today. Some of you loving your neighbors and your neighborhood, it comes easy. If it's not, let me encourage you to begin to pray, God, Give me a love for my neighborhood. Father, give me a love for my neighbors. Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about the God-given love that he had for a place, for the people in a place in the city of Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Paul writes about people in a specific place and he says, I have an abundant love for you. I have a God-given love for you. What if it were our prayer? Father, give me a supernatural love for the place where I live. A few years ago, a missionary to Spain told me that she lives in Spain because God gave her a love for the people of Spain. She said, there's many reasons to love Spain. We have cafes, we have tapas, we have architecture, we have castles, we have great weather, all these things. That's not why I live in Spain, she said. I live in Spain because God gave me 
a love for the people of this country that I could not deny, and it was so compelling that I moved here to be the hands and feet of Christ to the people who live in this country. What if we were to pray for that same kind of love for the neighborhoods where we love? God, give me a love for the place where I live. So I hope, I, I hope you love your neighborhood. Second, the challenge is for us to be better for our neighbors. Our neighborhoods should be better because we're in them. The most loving thing ultimately that we can do for a neighbor is to share the hope for eternity that we have in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 says this, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Well, the greatest truth that we could ever share with a neighbor is the reality that sin separates us from God, and the only way for that relationship to be restored is to receive and declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just, it may work for you, but most likely it's not going to work to reach your neighbor by standing on the sidewalk with, what do you call one of those things? A megaphone. And when they come out to like take their recycling bin out, yelling Bible verses through the megaphone, it's probably not a way to reach your neighbor. Our neighbors are not our religious projects. We're, we're called to love our neighbor and love comes out of relationship. When we love our neighbors, our desire is that they will be grateful that we are putting intentionality into loving them. Because it's uncomfortable. It's uncommon in the world today. You might, you might catch someone by surprise. As you came in today, or as you go out by People's Coffee, near the entrance of the church, we have two giant maps on the wall. One is a city-level map of the city, and one is a more regional map that shows some of the communities that surround the church because we draw people, some of you come quite a ways to come and see us, and we're thankful for you. What I'm asking of you today is when you are on your, and if you're visiting today, you can do this. Uh, as you're, you're uh, leaving today, if you would stop by that map, we have stickers for you, and I'd like for you to put a sticker on your neighborhood. And what we're already beginning to see there as this, you see the stickers come across the map is that People's Church our church family, whether this is your second week or your 30th year here, that People's Church is reach, reaches the neighborhoods of Salem, Kaiser, Mount Angel, Silverton, Dallas, Woodburn, and beyond. What would happen if we all committed to making a love of Christ, hands and feet of Christ difference in our neighborhood. I just checked last night and we have in our, our database, um, we put some parameters in there and it gives us a list of our active households. And by our last count, as of yesterday, we have 1,100 active households in the People's Church family. 
not 1,100 people, 1,100 households. And a household, it could be someone who's single, it could be a couple, it could be a family. We have 1,100 households. Now, we all don't live in the same neighborhood. We all don't live on the same block. But that tells me that we have an, an, a potential to impact about 1,100 blocks or streets in our city and beyond. That's quite a reach. Some of you are already very well connected to your neighbors, but what would happen in our city if we all prayed, all of us prayed, God, use me, use me in my neighborhood. Every one of us who's a follower of Christ, the chances are someone prayed for you became, before you became a follower of Christ. Let me just ask you to lift up a hand. If you know that someone prayed for you to become a follower of Christ before you made that decision, would you just raise a hand? You know that someone was praying for you before you became a follower of Christ. So many of us. Thank you. So for me, I know that my grandmother was praying for me before I became a follower of Christ. Uh, when I was in high school, some friends from high school, high school kids, teenagers, thanks for being high schoolers who invite. I had some uh, high school friends who invited me to Young Life in my city, Portage, Michigan. Did it, does anyone go to Young Life or you grew up in Young Life? You know Young Life? Yeah, we have some Young Lifers here. So I was invited to go to Young Life. I enjoyed Young Life, but I never made the decision to become a Christian. I didn't really understand fully what that meant at that time in my life. I enjoyed going to Young Life, but it wasn't until after college that I made a decision for Christ. Well, a few months ago, I began to think about Young Life and those friends who invited me to Young Life and the leaders, and I thought I would try to reach out to see if I could uh, find some of the leaders from Young Life 20 plus years ago, just to thank them for ministering to me, even though I didn't become a Christian at the moment that I was under their ministry. So I was able to track down some people who, were, who are still involved in Young Life in my hometown. They're still involved today, connected by email. And I just said, I just want to reach out and say thank you for what you, you did, for ministering to me when I was a high school student. And just to let you know what has happened in my life since then, that I became a follower of Christ after college and eventually God called me into ministry. Well, I received an email back from one of these leaders. And he said, I remember when you were in high school and we prayed for you by name. Many of us, we could say, there were people who prayed for us by name before we became a Christian. So how does this connect the conversation about being a good neighbor. What would happen, people's church, if each of us were willing to pray for our neighbors by name? Now, I'm just going to do some quick math in my head right here. If we were to pray for the eight homes that are closest to us, pray for the people who live in those homes by name, and we have 1,100 active households in People's Church. That math is 8,800 homes. I did that without a calculator. 
What would happen if we started praying for 8,800 homes, the people who live there by name, that lives would be transformed, that people would be healed, that they would experience God's provision? I know that I know that I know that we're not going to go O for 8,800. I, it's actually exciting to think about what might happen if we prayed for our neighbors by name. We're going to play a, a game. When you came in today, did you get one of these? If you, if you have one, can you just hold it up so I can see it? <coughs> okay, thank you. If you did not get one, Raise a hand. We want everybody to have one. Actually, we want every household to have one. So if you're sitting next to somebody who lives in your home, you can play this game together. If you're watching at home, uh, we don't have one of these colorful versions for you, but all you need to do is you need to draw a tic-tac-toe board and draw a house in the middle. Just like that. So here is the 60-second Who Is My Neighbor Challenge. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock, and here's the challenge. Can you write down the names of the people who live in the eight homes closest to yours? Now, some of you, if it's an apartment, it's the eight apartments who are closest to your apartment. If it's more of a, what we might say, a typical neighborhood, who are the people who live in the eight homes closest to you in your neighborhood? If you live out in the rural area, who are the eight farms closest to your farm? I don't, I don't know. Some of you, I didn't say go yet, and you're already going. That's okay. All right. 60 seconds. I want you to see if you can name someone who lives in the eight homes closest to your home. Ready, set, go for it. down. All right. Every, if you uh, were able to complete at least one of the eight boxes, just go ahead and raise a hand right now. All right. Leave your hands raised if you have two boxes completed. Three, four, five, six boxes. Seven. Wow. How about how many got eight, all eight boxes filled? Let's uh, show some love to these people. Way to love your neighbors by knowing your neighbors. 
This, uh, this comes from a book called The Art of Neighboring. And the authors of this book tell us whenever they do this exercise, this game, uh, about 10% of the people on average, about 10% of the people can do all eight squares. Just a heads up, we're going to do this again next week. So what if we challenged ourselves? If we can't name people in the eight homes around us, what if we were to make it our goal for this week that we would learn the names of the eight people who live in the eight homes closest to our home? It's easier to pray for our neighbors when we know their names. Now, thankfully with the internet, you can go on right now and do some searches and you could find the names of the people who live near you. Or you can do the less creepy thing. (laughs) And you could go and knock on the door and introduce yourself to your neighbors. And you you can even say, hey, this is maybe weird for me to come over like this, but my pastor told me I have to learn the names of the people who live nearby. You have a goal for this week. The macro of the Great Commission is lived out in the micro of loving neighbors. Think about that. The macro, the big Great Commission is lived out in the micro of loving neighbors. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, after the crucifixion, the resurrected Jesus Christ told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations starts for us in one neighborhood. If you're new in your neighborhood, you have it easy. You have a, a reason to go meet all your neighbors. We're new here. I just want to let you know that we're new, new in town. I want you to know who, who we are. If you've been in a neighborhood for a long time, it can feel like, is it past the point of no return? Like we've lived here for 20 years, never met those people. Well, we're coming out of a COVID season, mask mandate over all this. What a great reopening time to say, hey, I've been giving this a lot of thought. This is, it's long overdue for me to come over and introduce myself. We're Tom and Jennifer. We live in that house right there. And we just wanted to let you know that we're in the neighborhood. Uh, This is something that Jennifer and I did in our neighborhood that we lived at before we moved here when we lived in Wisconsin. We wrote down our our names and the names of our kids. And uh, we put our phone number and our email on on these little cards. And we just went around to our neighborhood and we said, uh, we just want our neighbors to have our phone number and our email. In the case that our house burns down and we're not here, we would like for someone to call us and let us know. So we thought that it was important for you to have our phone number. And what happens in that situation, uh, what are they almost certainly gonna do? They're gonna give you their number back and you can begin to have a relationship with someone who lives nearby. Knowing our neighbors is the catalyst for loving our neighbors. You want to love your neighbors? A great first step is to know your neighbors. In a neighborhood in Huntsville, Alabama, 
there was a home with an overgrown lawn. Many cities, they have ordinances that prohibit overgrown grass, overgrown weeds, and people can call and say, there's a nuisance property on my block. It's an eyesore. It's driving all of our property values down. You need to send someone out from the city to do something about this. Now, there are all kinds of different reasons, but what if it's possible that an overgrown lawn is an opportunity, an opportunity to love a neighbor? Certainly not always the case, and of course, taking care of what we have been entrusted with, this is a biblical principle, but what if there's a story behind the overgrown lawn, the tall grass and the weeds at that property in, in your neighborhood? Neighborhood in Huntsville, Alabama. What if we try to learn the story before we make any conclusions? Has anyone ever been to Huntsville, Alabama? Nobody. You've been there. Frank's been there. I hear it's lovely this time of year. Actually, I have no idea. So, the, this neighborhood in Huntsville, Alabama, there's a, a home with overgrown grass, overgrown weeds. What we would say it is a nuisance property. And there was two friends who were sitting outside their names are Rodney and Terrence. And they are sitting outside and they look at the home with the overgrown weeds and the overgrown grass. And they see a woman come out who we can confidently describe as elderly, 93 years old. And she attempts to begin mowing her own lawn. Rodney and Terrence did what I hope any able-bodied person would do in the same situation. And they went over and said, let, let us take care of your lawn. Let us mow your lawn for you. That one act of service prompted Rodney to start an organization where it became his mission to raise up volunteers to help neighbors in need of lawn care. At the time the article was written that I read, Rodney's group had committed to mowing more than 300 lawns with a team of more than 20 volunteers. Before knowing the neighbor, that's a nuisance property and it's a burden to the neighborhood. After knowing the neighbor, the neighbor it became a household in need. What appeared to be a nuisance was actually an opportunity to serve. Let's begin, if we haven't done it already, let's begin to serve our neighbors by praying for our neighbors. What if even for a few weeks we were to be able to complete this and you could cut it out and tuck it in your Bible and pray over your neighbors, pray for salvation, that they would know the hope of Jesus Christ in a personal way through personal relationship. Pray protection, pray peace, pray provision, pray health. And if you find out that your neighbor is already a follower of Christ, praise God. You've got a brother or sister in Christ right there in your neighborhood. You can pray for the other neighbors together. We have Resurrection Sunday coming up on April 17th, Easter Sunday. Uh, 
we have these invite cards that are available out in the lobby today. Now, I, I should have asked the team before I told you to do this. I, I think we have enough. What if you were to go and take eight cards and take eight neighbors and say, Father, would you give me an opportunity to give eight cards to eight neighbors to invite them to Resurrection Sunday at People's Church. Now we're, <laughs> please, I'm not asking you to invite somebody who's already perfectly happy in their own church. We're not just about moving people from one church to the next, but I'm like praying that God would give us an opportunity to invite eight people who don't have a church home to be part of what's happening here on Easter Sunday. We're not gonna go O for 8,800. I know that. Now, some of you might say you're thinking about this and this whole conversation about being followers of Christ and being great neighbors. Some of you would say, you've had some very, very kind neighbors who are not Christian. And some of you might say, I've had some Christian neighbors, neighbors who weren't very kind. Yes, as followers of Christ, we are called to be kind. We are not here to only be kind. We are called to be more than kind. We're not here to be content with our own salvation. We're here to bring the love of Christ and the power of the kingdom. If our work and our hospitality stays within these walls, then the kingdom is not reaching. And here's a question that will really challenge us. Who is more responsible than us to be the hands and feet of Christ in our neighborhood? No one is more responsible than us to be the hands and feet of Christ in our own neighborhood. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.